Welcome to the Thari podcast where compassion meets wellness. I'm your host Nikita and today we have a very special guest, Faith Ashton, founder and CEO of That Healing Feeling. Faith is a dedicated practitioner and educator with a profound understanding of the parasympathetic nervous system and the intricate ways in which trauma and pain is stored in the body. She is a beacon of knowledge and wisdom in the field of mind-body connection and nervous system healing. Faith has seen firsthand the remarkable transformations that can occur when we tap into the potential of our subconscious minds. Through her extensive experience expertise, she has helped women worldwide navigate the intricate pathways of their own subconscious to unlock the body's incredible capacity for self-healing. Welcome, Faith. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for that intro. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So I was hoping you could just give us sort of a background on what, how exactly our beliefs sort of uh, impact the subconscious and the process around it. Yeah. So I think that um, I think more people are talking a little bit about this now, or perhaps I it seems that way to me because I'm very much in this space. But this idea that um, our inner world actually is what affects our reality versus our external worlds is really empowering and gives us this internal locus of control. Like, hey, if you want to change anything about your life, actually, it starts with what you're thinking, really. Um, Whether you're aware of these thoughts or whether it's below your conscious awareness. And actually, that is where you have kind of like the biggest lever to pull um, to change literally anything about your life. Because what you're experiencing is truly just a manifestation of what you um, absorb and digest reality at face value. So what we are experiencing as our quote unquote reality is just what we believe to be reality, which is where I come in um, because I help people really identify what do you believe? Um, And are those beliefs in alignment with what you want your reality to be, whether it's healing something um, physical or emotional or whether it's a different house or a dream job or a family um, or weight loss gain, whatever people want. And are your beliefs in alignment with what you want essentially and what you're telling yourself? So um, that's kind of a, I feel like a precursor to the question that you asked because I think a lot of people are like, what do you mean? <laughs> Your beliefs, you know, because it's not the common like narrative. Um, but as I said, I believe that it is becoming more common as people are searching to figure out what is it that I need to do to actually get the results I want. So um, there are a lot of different ways that I can kind of take this. And I don't know whether you want me to go more into like the science behind it, <laughs> not to put you on the spot or more into like the theory behind it. Um, but there are a lot of applications and a lot of implications. And I can kind of dive into both based off where you want me to start. Yeah. So I was actually reading a little bit on your website about what you do. And I really liked your approach because it wasn't essentially, you know, this whole miracle manifestation part of it. But the way that or what I read on your website was more about neuroplasticity and how um, you're sort of, you know, rewiring yourself like a computer. So maybe we could touch a little bit about that and how it's a little bit different from, I guess, magic. <laughs> yeah, I like to kind of demystify 
yeah. this idea of manifestation, even though there's a portion of my audience, I would say, and my students and all of that that are really into the spiritual side. And so I can tie it to that depending on who I'm talking to. But generally speaking, my approach is to go to explain it based on the science, because I feel like, you know, if we're talking about um, changing the brain, it's easier to learn something if you connect it to something you already believe in. So generally speaking, my students and listeners and and community believes in the science. And so it's easier for me to like help people make those connections when I it has like a scientific foundation. So essentially the idea um, of neuroplasticity is that the brain can change at any time. And we used to think that our brains were only plastic and, you know, for the first few like seven years of our lives and then whatever we like taught our children, um, that was kind of it. And that's who they are. And our habits are our habits. And the way we are is the way we are. And, you know, people say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, but that's not true. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Um, you can change your brain at any time as long as you're living on this planet. Um, you can not only change your brain from a chemical standpoint, but you can change the structure of your brain by changing your thoughts. Um, you can basically, you know, structurally change the impact of trauma on the brain by doing simple exercises um, and we're doing this all the time without realizing it. And so one of the things I, I share is one, okay, first of all, let's establish the fact that you can. So you're not stuck. Um, don't don't just like sit there saying, well, it's too late. I am who I am because that's not true. And second of all, um, just by implementing, you know, simple um, exercises and becoming aware of your thoughts, you can actually train your brain to send different chemical messenger messengers to every cell in your body. So for example, um, if you are thinking thoughts that just make you feel happy, let's say, um, or you do something that makes you feel happy, you're going to be sending messages to the body that it's safe to heal. And all of a sudden, your body goes into repair mode. And this is all happening from just like the inception point of a thought of something that made you feel happy. You don't even have to be doing it because the brain doesn't know if you're doing it or not. So people think, oh, well, I'm stuck in this place and too bad, so sad. Well, actually, no, because your brain doesn't know. It doesn't know whether you're stuck in that place or this place. If you're daydreaming of being on the beach in Aruba, you're on the beach in Aruba. It doesn't know. It's the same exact thing. So we have all the power internally to send these messages to the body to do essentially whatever we want to visualize. Um, and then when it comes to manifesting, um, well, if in our heads, we have manifested this reality, aka our brain thinks it's happening, we assume that identity and we align with those beliefs. Once we start acting like the person who has these things, all of our habits changed. And that's how we manifest a new reality. If you want to manifest weight loss, all you've got to do is become someone who moves their body, who sleeps well at night, you know, who eats nourishing food and has a balanced diet. All, the, all you have to do is become that person in your head. You don't need to change all your habits because your habits will flow when your brain changes. And it's so much easier to change from that standpoint because then you don't have to be so obsessive about why can't I do this and why can't I do this? Because you're not working from the smartest place to work, which is your brain and your subconscious. Um, and so it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. And it makes life so much easier when we look at change from this standpoint. I completely agree with you. And the way that you explained it makes it make a lot more sense, you know, once it's 
habits. It's not magic, but it's habits that you've changed and you thought you've reprogrammed yourself into. So I wanted to ask you if you, if there are like, you know, certain activities or certain ways in which one, you can identify the, I guess, what's stopping you from making that change and then also how you actually implement it. Yeah. So I always come back to beliefs because um, this is one of the highest levels of the mind. So we have to think about um, if we're looking to change our lives, we want to work on a subconscious level, this, the conscious mind. So the thinking mind, the planning mind, the logical mind is like 5% of the mind. Most people are trying to change their lives from the level of the conscious mind. The problem is that's a very small portion of what drives all of your your actions, your thoughts, your dreams, everything. Actually, that part of the mind is more just the like, what needs to get done today? How can I plan for this? Or how can I problem solve this? But it's not the like crux of what makes us on an identity level. So the first step is identifying what is there? What do I believe? How do I identify? What are my values? What's my perception of reality? What are my habits? You know, and it's not that your thoughts become your reality. It's that your beliefs become your reality because your beliefs dictate your thoughts. If someone is looking at an area of their life that they want to change, and I specifically work with people who are really looking to heal chronic illness or like something more mental, emotional, like anxiety, depression, and this is ultimately holding them back from the other things that they want in their life, the other things they want to manifest, let's say, into their life. So for example, let's take this lens and you're someone who has a chronic illness, an autoimmune disease. And you're like, what do I believe that could be holding me back? Well, one of the things that um, I always, always see is that they believe that their condition is for life. So right there, if you believe that your condition, because you've been told, you know, autoimmune or chronic illness is for life, you couldn't possibly have a reality of anything different because you're telling yourself that this is the way it is. So you're trying all these things to heal, but you believe that you'll be sick forever or you believe that it's your genetic predisposition. Therefore, there's nothing you can do. Or you believe that, let's say, your autoimmune disease doesn't allow you to do certain activities or eat certain foods. You believe that you can't do those things because that's the evidence you've collected in your current reality. So you're creating this reality for yourself where you are telling yourself subconsciously, not consciously always, sometimes, that you're going to be sick forever or that you just are an anxious person if you're anxious, let's say, whatever it is that you're telling yourself. And you think that it has no impact on your life. You think that, oh, well, too bad. You know, I've just been given a bad deck of cards and, and I'm an unlucky person. And that's what you believe. And so you're sending messages to every single cell in the body that you're in danger all the time when you have these and that are flowing from these beliefs. And that's essentially keeping the nervous system in a place where healing is impossible. Um, but one of the interesting things and in how this applies to anything you might want in your life is when your nervous system is in that place that we call sympathetic or fight or flight, the logic centers of your brain turn off. And this is an evolutionary mechanism because essentially it allows you to hyper-focus off of a problem. So if you were running from a lion like back in the day, you would be hyper-focusing on the lion and nothing else. You wouldn't see the trees with fruit. You wouldn't see like a beautiful sunset because that wouldn't be resourceful for you if you needed to run for your life. So you would just be lifted because um, we still have this very like primitive function today. So our brain doesn't know, you know, that you're just like 
thinking about um, subconsciously a negative belief and it's not a lion. It thinks that it's always a lion coming to chase us and eat us. So every time we're, you know, living in our reality with all of these restrictive and limiting beliefs of like, I'm always going to be sick or um, I'm not the type of person that can have this or too bad, so sad, I just have bad luck or whatever we believe, our body thinks we're like perpetually being chased by a lion. And it turns off all of our creativity and all of our capacity to see other perspectives and it hyper focuses hyper focuses us on the problem and so all we can see is the problem so whatever it is that we want to change actually we're programming our brain to hyper focus and fixate on that and we're unable to utilize any of the other possible solutions that exist for us because of this more primitive function of the brain. And so it really comes back to if you want to solve the problem um, or, you know, overcome the situation, you need the cognitive capacity that only comes with having your nervous system in a different state, which is not survival. And those signals that allow that come from different beliefs. Right. Um, So I have a question about what you were saying. You took the example of there being a chronic illness where, you know, you have evidence that says, Every time I eat gluten, I vomit. So, I mean, this is a very, uh, the way I would call it is a factual belief, right? You try something and you get the same result every time. So how do you, I mean, changing this belief, how how do you do that? And how do you make sure that you're not essentially, you know, becoming delusional by saying, <laughs> you know, I'm not allergic? Well, it's kind of funny because I call my students. I'm like, I feel like we are kind of like a weird cult because when my students are in my programs, we do a lot of things that sound a bit crazy. Like we're talking to different parts of our brain and then we're using, we're swapping out different words to send different signals to the nervous system. And it's so funny because like everyone's partners are like, oh my God, my partner has literally gone insane. Like, what is she saying? <laughs> but but here's the thing. Um, all these things that we're doing there, it's kind of like an algorithm. So it kind of sounds a bit silly sometimes. Um, sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it makes sense on the surface, but you're like, but it does work. So let's talk a little bit about food sensitivities. Now, I want to just like add like a disclaimer. Please don't like listen to this. And then if you're having a food sensitivity and just like go indulge, then be like, oh, Faith said on the podcast. Um, because um, I specifically work with people who like weren't born with a condition. So I just want to make that clear. Like if you literally have vomited your whole life from gluten, um, let's say I don't know of that situation, but let's say that's the case because you have some severe like disease where it puts you over the edge. This is not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to someone who's developed a condition at some point um, in their life. And generally we see this more as like unexplained symptoms in women or like autoimmune or, you know, kind of like in that boat. Um, so it's like, for example, if you're celiac, um, we would, I personally wouldn't take you on as a client to overcome a gluten intolerance because this is a bit different than um, your average like woman that that I see that has like gut issues and just can't tolerate many, many foods. So this is one of the biggest reasons people come to me is food intolerances and they feel like they've been healing their gut like for their whole life, but they still can't eat so many things. And what happens is um, just like your habits like waking up and doing something or eating a certain thing or checking your phone, whatever, just like your habits that you see um, become memorized. So do different thoughts. And um, food intolerances are exactly this. They're just like habits of the brain when they become chronic. So let's say like you developed, you had like a parasite or you had um, like a bacterial overgrowth or something in the gut um, that caused a gluten intolerance. 
And ever since then, you've had a gluten intolerance. And you're like, I bloat. I have all the brain fog, exhaustion, acne, whatever it is that you get. Um, So the first, let's say like 10 times you ate gluten, this was an acute issue, meaning it wasn't like a lifelong thing. It was acute in the sense that strep throat is acute or flu is acute, right? Like you get it, you recover. It's fine. You know, it's not like there for life. Um, So when things first occur, they're just acute. The brain is very much like registering the information like, okay, there's some sort of like pathogen. There's like inflammation. Like that's where you're getting the um, reactions in the body. But then over time, regardless of whether or not your gut heals, the brain actually habitualizes that response. So it says instead of using our precious precious energy to um, kind of like manually give this like gluten reaction, we're going to create this really solid neural pathway or neural network that when it registers gluten, it's going to automatically habitually give the response of, let's say, bloating, acne, brain fog, and exhaustion. So this is why clients could even think of gluten. And sometimes they start to feel sick because it's a very, very like strong neural pathway. And this is what we see when symptoms become chronic. So this is a very different, and I, I do really want to stress that this is different than acute. Things have to be done a certain amount of times to become a habit in life, right? It's the same thing with the brain. Um, so once that becomes a like really strong neural network, then basically um, we don't know whether or not you've healed your gut or if your efforts are even working when it comes to gluten, let's say, because your brain is sending this response out of habit. So you're eating gluten and boom. And not only that, but the symptoms will become worse with time. So these networks, they become stronger and stronger and stronger the more you use them. Just like going to the gym, if you're lifting weights, the more you lift those weights, the the bigger your muscle becomes, the stronger you become. So every time you indulge in gluten, you're getting this reaction, but it's coming on faster and it's coming on more intense and the symptoms could even evolve and become worse. And you're thinking, oh my God, this is because I'm really intolerant to gluten, but actually, no. This is a very much likely because your brain has formed this habit and it is sending this response um, in the way that it does with all chronic symptoms. And this is why we see such fantastic results of people reversing food intolerances, including myself um, and so many of my clients and so many other symptoms. Um, so what we want to do is take that lens and say, OK, where you know are these associations and then where is this network in the brain? And we want to start to weaken those pathways and create new pathways that associate gluten with safety. Um, and as soon as we start doing that, that's when the symptoms go away. And this can apply to any symptom, any, anything, anything at all in the body. So you speak a lot about like the concept of safety and um, sort of from like a layman's perspective. Uh, say that you are running from a tiger and the tiger doesn't exist, but you feel like there's a tiger there and you're running, running, running. And and then you just tell yourself, like, I'm going to stop. Wouldn't the brain's initial reaction be, hey, there's a tiger chasing me. So wouldn't the whatever pathways that have been built, wouldn't they get stronger before they get weaker? So you're saying in the situation where there really is a tiger? I'm saying even though you're trying to convince your brain that there isn't a tiger, but to the brain, it's like, this is a risk, right? Because if I stop running, there still could be a tiger, especially because it's spent so long believing that there is a tiger there. Yes. So typically what we do when we're weakening a network 
is we start to look outside of us for external evidence before we attempt to bring in some internal evidence. So what that means is um, let's take the scenario of the gluten because we've just kind of gone through that. So what we would do is we would start to educate ourselves by looking into the literature on the topic and start to provide evidence to the brain that um, it's possible to heal and overcome a gluten intolerance through this work. So it sounds very simple, but that's exactly what it is. Whenever we're trying to weaken a a neural pathway, all we have to do, since the brain is essentially a computer um, and these are all just codes, all we have to do is rewrite the code. So the brain needs to see evidence, like you said, to prove to it essentially that the work is worthwhile and that the work is crucially possible. And so currently, if our reality is like, it's not possible, it's not possible, this is my reality, we will start with proving that it's been possible for Sally and Jamie and Joe. And we start reading the literature and finding scenarios where people actually have done this work and it has worked. And that is how we start to weaken the pathway. So we're not even like bringing the gluten in yet. Okay. We need to get them to a weak enough place to where we can then start doing some of this work. And we've proved to the brain that there is a possibility, albeit potentially outside of us, for safety in this scenario. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I would like to ask you more about that feeling of safety. How do you sort of identify it? How do you know when you reach the stage where you can start, you know, reprogramming it? So a lot of people in general haven't felt safe for a long time. Um, I would say most of my clients have forgotten what that feels like. Um, Society is very fast moving. And if you ask someone that question that you ask, they'd probably say, I don't know. How how do you know? Because almost even the second that people wake up, it's full throttle 100 miles an hour, whether it's technology or thinking about the day um, until we go to sleep. And oftentimes people need some sort of sedative just to get into a place where they can sleep. Um, and so finding safety looks like a few things from a physical standpoint. So your shoulders um, will drop. And um, so when your shoulders are up high, that's a sign that you're in a more like sympathetic fight or flight state. Um, the jaw will loosen. So like primitively, we use our jaws to bite if we were being like we were fighting for our lives. And so we send a lot of energy to the jaw. Um, when we're in that place. And so people will often come in with like jaw pain and they have this diagnosis or that diagnosis. No, that's just you're living in fight or flight. (laughs) And so your jaw relaxing, um, your breath will slow down. So fast breath up in the chest is that sympathetic dominant breathing. Um, And so breath in low into the stomach to the diaphragm breathing, that's very slow. Um, That is the rest and digest breathing. So if you like watch someone Um, in yoga or sleeping or in meditation, you'll either hear through guidance, okay, now I want you to focus on the breath. I want you to slow it down, da-da-da. Or if they're sleeping, it'll be like incredibly so and so slow that they'll even pause before they breathe again. Um, So that's the ultimate rest and digest is sleep. So when we're, you know, so those are some like physical things you can manipulate, but internally, um, the thoughts won't be planning. They won't be anywhere else but in the present. So the present is where all the healing happens in the moment that we're in now, the only thing that's real. But the sort of neological part of the mind, the prefrontal like human part of the mind is always thinking about the past or the future, is ruminating constantly, worst case scenario, 
thinking, dwelling on something in the past as though it's happening right now. When those things are happening, we're not in the present, which is the only thing that's real. And so then our body is sort of mobilizing this energy, getting ready for this lion to attack most of the time. But if we can visit the present moment, that's where the healing happens. That's where reality is. Um, and that's where everything that we want is accessible. So it's kind of getting out of that part of the fast thoughts and just into welcoming what's happening in reality in the present moment. Right. So you spoke a lot about, you know, the physical manifestations of not being safe. So would you say that, you know, I think like yoga or even running or anything that sort of gives you a physical release to these symptoms, does that also help with rewiring the neurotransmitters? Yes. I wouldn't say running. I would say walking. So depends on the person. Running, it does get you into a sympathetic dominant state because think about it when we used to like yeah. run from lions <laughs> and when you're running you are very much sympathetic you are breathing up into your chest you're breathing quickly um you're literally trying to mobilize that energy to the extremities so that you can be fast oftentimes if my students are well they come to me because they are dysregulated we will omit running from their protocol just because um it does tend to raise those stress hormones um which I know can be hard for people to hear, including myself, because I love to run and I have to have self-control around it because like I'll check my um, like heart rate variability and it just goes down big time when I'm running. So I would say, yes, walking. Absolutely. Like this is one of the best activities for so many reasons. Um, but you can get into a bit of a like um, meditative trance when you're walking. Um, at the same time, it supports um, reducing your like um I'm like, not, I can't even think of a word, but basically like if you have had changes to your brain because of trauma, you yeah. can essentially reverse those through different mechanisms and walking is one of them. So just like simply taking a simple walk, like it doesn't have to be anything specific, like this amount of time, this fast, this slow, a walk, getting your feet on the earth and being outside and yes, yoga or any type of movement and all of that is so healing. Right. So would you sort of just, you know, going back to what you said, would you say that the first part of it would be physical sort of to bring you to that safety and then you start working on the more mental part of it? Is that how it works? It depends. Um, I kind of teach both in tandem, but I think actually um, doing the mental part is extremely important and you don't have to wait until you've like learned how to like physically get your body into that place. So like being aware of when I'm having these thoughts, it means I'm in sympathetic is really, really important because then you can catch yourself and become the conscious observer of your thoughts and bring yourself to, you know, anchor yourself into the present. So what I teach is I teach people how to essentially separate themselves from their thoughts. Because um, when you do this, you become you, not your thoughts, right? You become the conscious observer. And I think that this is like the ultimate form of intelligence is to be able to Observe your thoughts without judgment because when you judge them, you're releasing those neurotransmitters. So observe them for what they are. Um, let them just fall to the side and come back to your center. This is the art of regulation and this is how we bring safety is to not let our thoughts become one with us because the thoughts will come. There's nothing we can do about that. No one can just sit in silence forever. No one can just avoid having these thoughts. Yeah. The point is that you accept the human aspect of, of existence and you say, yep, this is part of being human. 
observe them, but understand you are not them. Capital U is observing them, right? Capital U, capital Y, U is observing your thoughts. And then if you can release the judgment and come back to your center, that's how you build the safety. And I would say all of regulation comes back to that at the end of the day, because you have all the power, you take it back when you separate yourself from your thoughts. So that in tandem with whatever you want to do to bring safety to your body, we call that somatic. So like of the body um, is the perfect like combination of regulating the nervous system. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, would you have any more advice that you would give to somebody that was maybe on their journey to sort of regulate their nervous system? Yeah, I would say you're probably overcomplicating it. Um, I don't, <laughs> I was on some other podcast the other day and I was like, you know, there are a lot of people who want to say that you can't do these things unless you have this specific fancy method that no one knows the name of. And that's just simply not true. Um, yes, there are complex trauma scenarios where you perhaps could utilize and, you know, benefit from some other support systems, you know, um, that require like other individuals to support you and walk with you. But at the end of the day, we automatically regulate like we're designed the autonomic it's automatic we don't have to think about it we down regulate automatically however our bodies haven't evolved as quickly as our society so we're struggling to do that so it's kind of like strip back the complication and come back to like what's already yours which is that capacity just let it go let go the busyness the noise what people are saying unfollow the accounts get off reddit get off tiktok stop watching the like crime documentary and just like sit for a second and be okay with the silence and just get used to that feeling of like i don't need noise you know and like slowly like it's a muscle slowly it becomes easier and easier and at first it just feels a bit boring doesn't it to slow down like we're addicted to our stress chemicals. This is a scientific fact. You're addicted to adrenaline. So it's going to feel a bit weird and feel a bit silly to like start slowing down. But you absolutely can. Anyone can. We, we Anyone can do it. Anyone can change their brain. Anyone can downregulate. But um, you're not doing it wrong. You're overcomplicating it. And also, I want to add, um, it's normal to sit and have thoughts. Like this is the reason why I said this sums up all of regulation. Like it's not that you don't have thoughts. It's that you don't judge them. So you're going to have, like, you know, worst case scenario thinking pop up, right? Like you're a human being to just relish in the fact that like you get to be a human and this is part of it and you get to practice that art of separating yourself and observing this human experience. And if you do that, you'll always be able to regulate. Um, but don't overcomplicate it. You don't need a million gadgets. I, I, you follow me on, if you follow me on social, you'll know I never share a product. I never do a sponsorship deal. And I never, ever will because I'm a huge um, proponent of the fact that what you need is inside of you. You don't need to go buy anything to do this work. You can literally put your bare feet on the grass and that will give you more than any product I could ever give you online, you know, on like an Instagram post to to your nervous system. You can go outside and breathe fresh air yeah. and drink enough water, you know, that's that's the real power. Yeah, I love that. I love what you said, that all you need is inside of you. I think that's very motivating to anybody who would hear this. And like you said, it's your intuition and your there's that self-guidance that comes through. Thank you so much for your time. Um, this is very, very educational and a lot of fun. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, I love talking about it. So um, if anyone is interested you know, I give out loads of free content on that healing feeling. So um, I have podcasts 
and I have Instagram and TikTok and I'm definitely like a little corner of the internet that's only, you know, talking about regulation stuff, not sharing any news, not sharing any products, just this same message over and over again um, to try to just remind people like you are, you are the power to to do this and you can do it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love your Instagram. You've got a lot of those also, which, <laughs> you know, you can just read through very informative and very, you know, short and sweet. Thanks. Thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for having me.